I know it's it's our livelihood as well as many other people and how we make a living and that's that's awesome but it's also pretty lucky and I think you know life's short and we shouldn't be dicks to people about what type of bike they want to ride or the type of trail they want to build you know we we can jokingly talk shit I guess but I don't know man life's short we should just have fun and enjoy it Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. If you're new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Episode 89 features Drew Rohde, the founder of a website known as The Loam Wolf. During this episode, we talked about everything from vintage downhill mountain bikes to trails and trail communities. We also got into the weeds a bit on bike technology, e-bikes, and the bike park review series that The Loam Wolf is known for. I'd like to take a moment to thank all the listeners and guests who have taken the time to share the Trail Effect episodes on their social media accounts, such as Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn along with tagging Trail Effect in their posts. This has helped more listeners find the Trail Effect podcast. Please keep up all the sharing, commenting, and tagging of Trail Effect. I'd also like to thank all the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Now on to the Trail Effect with Drew Rohde of The Lone Wolf. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I have Drew Rohde. Drew is the founder of The Loam Wolf. The Loam Wolf is a mountain bike website that has about everything you could find, specific to mountain biking, e-mountain biking, even some dirt biking and motorcycle stuff on their website. And it's a website that I gravitate to when I'm looking for a specific product or I'm wondering about some new technology because Drew and his team offers a no bullshit approach to how they review things, how they dissect things. They really get, they, they go deep. And I will say that obviously this is a trail podcast, but I do and always have geeked out on technology of bikes and other things within the bike industry. And so I will look at the lone wolf and I will look at other sites. But one thing I always try to look for, if I'm looking for a specific product or a trait of a product is to see if there's parallels that different reviewers have kind of kicked off on when they've looked at things. And so it's awesome to, to really look at what Drew does and his team does and get like the real scoop on what's happening because you can provide the real scoop, right? <laughs> we tried to, man. I appreciate it. I mean, that's, you know, when we first started, that was definitely like a foundational block of what we were doing and how we were going to um, try to do things differently was exactly what you said a no bullshit approach to have the most honest and reputable reviews out there and um yeah you know like anything right it's the uh, politics or whatever it, it can get tricky sometimes when uh a lot of the you know 
the people that you're counting on to support you, you know, financially are the people that you're sometimes criticizing. I think that we have done it in a way and strive to do it in a way to where we uh, aren't, you know, looking forward or an excuse to bash that one company who hasn't advertised with us, you know, as a way to be like, see, look, we can say some stuff isn't great, but, you know, we do it in a way that uh, can benefit the consumer to have the knowledge that they need to make a decision and also in a way that the brands can take that feedback and hopefully improve their products. So it's a, it's a very polit- politi- politician's answer on how we <laughs> try to you know, criticize stuff. But the reality is that when it comes to products, right, like trail building, what one person might say sucks is another person's dream. And, uh, you know, while one person could totally hate really sharp switchbacks uh, or super long front ends with 62 degree head tube angles, another guy out there is going to absolutely love it. So, um, w- you know, we try to keep that in mind when we're reviewing products and, and bikes. Yeah, it's funny you just brought trails into that because one of the things that people love to hate on in trails, even though I think nobody actually really hates them, is flow trails. Oh man, that's, you're, you're going right to it, aren't you? Um, so I grew up in Southern California, the Los Angeles area, and the trails that I grew up riding were, well, we made them mountain bike trails, but they were not created as mountain bike trails. And because of that, uh, I learned to love steep, unnatural, rocky, chunky trails. We didn't have berms, right? I mean, it was loose, flat corners with like marbles. And uh, I love it, man. Like, I I mean, you know, now we're up in Bend, Oregon. And when I first moved here, I was like, oh, berms and tabletops. And this is like exactly what I moved up here for. And now, you know, fast forward years down the road and I'm like, man, I just want some raw, steep, chunky tech. You know what I mean? Like we're flow trailing the world and I just, I love raw trails and I love finding flow in natural terrain. So while I do think flow trails have their place, I really hope, I don't know, I feel like the pendulum really swung over into this, like, you know, let's freaking pave the, the world into a little bit more of like a, a mix, right? I love when you can have a trail that's got some natural tech and chunk, but then there's like one berm to kind of help you carry that momentum into the next natural section. So that to me is a really great balance of some man-made flow features into nature. I, I mean, I guess that's ultimately my thing, right? Is I love fun. I love berms. I love jumps, but to me, dude, just riding and creating your own lines and options through nature is is when I build a trail, that's what I look to do. And when I ride a trail, it's the same thing. Yeah. And I, I do agree. I grew up, I think we grew up, I don't know, for all the listeners, this is the first time Drew and I have actually spoken. So, <laughs> you know, he doesn't really probably know anything about me and I've, and I've dug up what I could dig up on, on Drew, which is probably easier than what you could dig up on me because you have a a whole website and other stuff out there. But from what I gather, we probably grew up riding around the same time. I started riding around 1990. My father at, when I was that age, lived in Southern California. So I'd once a year, I'd fly to Southern California to go mountain biking, you know, in the San Diego area and was fortunate to 
be able to ride Big Bear and was fortunate to be able to ride Mammoth and then the stuff around the San Diego area, you know. So in that time, you're right, like there were no real mountain bike trails. It was it was hiking or social or whatever created that path through the woods or through the desert or wherever you are. <laughs> the shrubs. Yeah, through the shrubs, you know. And and I, I get it. I just I figured you you threw out a uh, a comparison from a trail to a bike and stuff like that. And so I figured I'd throw a flow, flow trail in just because I know that lights people up almost like clips versus flats. <laughs> yeah. Here, I just watched a video that in preparation for this, that came out this morning on the lone wolf. And if people catch wind that Hans Ray does both at the same time, <laughs> a clip and a flat, <laughs> he calls it halfway Ray. Yeah, it's which is perfect because you know it originally it was no way Ray. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's um it's an interesting concept and I I could see some merits in it for some people and some applications, no doubt. So Yeah. Let's dig into the lone wolf and how you you know how the lone wolf came to be and kind of your your backstory and what what brought the lone wolf to reality. Okay. Um yeah, so you know, uh, being a lifelong mountain bike addict, I, uh, like many had jobs as a teenager off and on working in bike shops and shortly like, well, actually during college. And then after I, I stayed in Los Angeles for all that, I was building sets for the studios and, uh, was just loving it. You know, I was single and would make a whole bunch of money working like 10 days straight, 20 hours a day. And then I'd have like a month or two off and I'd load my van up and just travel and drive and ride bikes. And I kind of realized at that point, my, my goal in life was to be the old man who had a lot of cool stories to tell. Because, you know, when you're on the road by yourself, uh, one of my favorite things about being on the road alone is that you're forced to granted, this was before smartphones and all these apps and all that stuff. Right. And I was also a very hard uh, denier. I like I didn't have tech. I was the last of my friends to have text messaging on my cell phone. So I was kind of forcing myself to talk to people in diners, restaurants, stopping at local shops, whatever. And I just loved hearing old guys and the stories that they had to tell. And that kind of had me just realize like, man, I want to say yes to as many things as I can so that when I'm old, I have a lot of cool stories to tell. And through that, I guess somehow I decided to start a blog. So that, gosh, I don't even remember what the name of the blog. Oh, the blog was living the high life on a low budget. I, I, I totally forgot about this. So I started documenting my trips and um, I ended up in Argentina for about seven or eight months, like working on a ranch. I met some kid in LA whose parents sold everything, moved to Argentina and we're going to open like a mountain outdoor recreational like bed and breakfast so like you could like learn how to garden you could horseback whitewater kayak rock climb and mountain bike because their son was a mountain biker and so i had to work four days a week on the ranch to, for my room and board and so we would you know take the horses out and go round up cattle we would tag you know the ears of baby like full-on like rancher stuff it was awesome and then the rest of the days we would travel and race the down the South American downhill circuit or build trails on this property, whatever. I came back from that trip and the studios were on strike, so there was no work. Uh, I went back to work at a bike shop for a couple of months that my friend owned. It was called Westlake Cyclery. And 
Thousand Oaks. And um, there I met a guy named Brian Piero who worked for Niner. They at the time were located in North Hollywood. And he said they needed help. And I went to work at Niner. And I was doing customer service and warranty, which at the time was gnarly because they were going through a recall. So that, I learned a lot of great traits in that uh, short period of time. Throughout that whole period of my teenage years until working at Niner, I knew Scott Hart, who was the head editor and had started Decline Magazine, which was a downhill-focused mountain bike magazine. We used to ride together. Uh, he was like 10 years older than me, but we were always at the same trails. At the time, you know, Woolsey Canyon was kind of our like go-to sort of downhill spot. We were doing a lot of building it there in G-Spot and Simi. Those were like the spots I spent every holiday, every weekend. I was there with a shovel building. And I was knocking on his door, dude, like, let me box bikes. Let me, let me clean up your warehouse, anything I can do to help out. I just wanted to get in there because I was like, this guy's got a dream job, you know? And finally I got in the door. He gave me a set here. He gave me a helmet. He's like, Hey dude, try out this helmet. Let me know what you think. Then I got a set of tires and he was like, Oh shit, you're halfway competent, you know, and you're halfway decent at riding a bike. And so like that, evolved into a couple of more things and a couple more projects. And then he left Decline Magazine and that opened up a position for me. And then I worked at Decline as the assistant editor. And then when when Mark Jordan, who was the head editor, left to go become like the, I guess, global marketing manager for Fox Suspension, I took over the Decline Mag and I ran that for, I think I was there in total about eight years. Towards the end of my period at Decline, I moved to Bend because uh, I, I wanted to get out of LA, you know, born and raised there and was like, man, I want to be able to afford a house, which we can't really do in the bike industry as you probably are figuring out. I wanted to be closer to Whistler and I just wanted to change. So I moved up here and they let me run the mag remotely, which worked out. And all of a sudden I got a phone call from our, our publisher, the owner of the mag and said, hey, if you've got anything down here at the office, have one of the guys take it home and come grab it. Next time you're back, I'm shutting the doors. And that was kind of like, what? What do you mean? You know, like I thought everything was good. And uh, so suddenly I and the rest of our crew uh, found ourselves without a job. And I guess backtracking about two or three months before that, I was, you know, watching a Dirt Shark video, which is a, a moto media company. I guess they make a lot of rad videos. and. I got really excited watching that video. It was just like not very much slow-mo. They were just playing heavy metal music. There was like explosions and flames. And it reminded me of the old New World Disorder videos that I grew up watching that like I would watch that and I was like, I'm going to go huck myself off a cliff and I don't really know what's going to happen, but I'm going to do it because I'm jacked up from that video, right? And I just felt like where mountain bike media was currently with videos and slow-mo and the same old roost shot and someone putting their goggles on all slow. I was like, man, this is just like a slow-mo brag fest of like the artsiest depiction of the sport. And so I decided mountain biking got soft and we needed a dirt shark for mountain biking. And like that just kept looping in my head. And I was like, what would be a good dirt shark? And that became Lone Wolf. And then somehow the website was available and 
I got the, the logo. Uh, you know, I worked with a friend of mine and told him my inspiration for what I wanted. And uh, then I emailed all the companies whose bikes I had in my garage for decline and, and said, hey, I, I'm happy to ship this bike back to you. If you want to leave it with us, uh, two of the guys from the magazine are going to come with me. We're starting a new website and we're going to be focusing on core, authentic, you know, no bullshit reviews and doing stuff a little bit differently and with an edge. And they said, keep it. We're excited to see what's next. And that was kind of long story short of how we got started. And here we are. I'm going to backtrack onto an old mountain bike video that I've never, I don't think I've asked anybody this question, either in person or via the podcast. But do you remember a video that came out? It would have been around 1996. And it was also part of a magazine that didn't last for very long called Plush. And it was Plush the Movie. Yes. I had it on VHS. I might still. And now that I say it, I'm going to go dig it up maybe to see if there's one place it might be where I could potentially have it. But that's a movie I've looked for because sometimes this stuff makes it to YouTube. And that movie hasn't made it to YouTube. The only part of that movie that has made it to YouTube is Shams March's part. In Santa Barbara. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Oh man, plush. I feel like there was a sequel, Super Plush, or or am I There might have been. I only remember Plush. That was also around the time that I was starting college and things got a little fuzzy for me for obvious reasons. <laughs> dude, so also in that era there was um was it Simple or Keep It Simple or Oh Real Simple? Do you remember that uh, movie? I don't I remember Plush and I remember the Fox movie um Chain Smoke where they were like trying to where they like literally tried their best to make cross country racing look rad. Yeah. And then they Which also, they kind of did. They did. Kinda. I mean, they, yeah. had, they had Dave Weens and Su- Susan DiMatteo in it and Tinker Juarez, but they also had Mike Metzger in it on a mountain bike, which obviously he's a, for those that know Moto, know he's yep. a Moto guy who was then riding with Sean Palmer when Palmer was, before he was a specialized guy, when he was still riding for Intense, or probably yeah, himself the M- actually. The M1. Yeah. That was, dude, I, I watched, I watched videos every night, man. Like every night I would play VHS. I had so many. There was the others, which maybe you didn't know because a lot of these videos were from, from SoCal guys, but there was a masters of reality series. And a lot of those videos had a lot like the Cortina brothers. Do you remember Cortina cycles? I don't. Oh, wait, maybe I, I now I'm getting that confused with Cheetah. Because okay. there's also Cheetah then that, I mean, there's a bunch of like kind of one-off almost brands at that point. Cause that was kind of yes. the original heyday of oh, when dude, downhill bikes started. were becoming super rad. They were. Yeah. There's and um, oddly enough, I'm, I'm, <laughs> we moved into a new office and we have like a couple of display racks that we got from feedback sports. They're like those like vertical bike hanging ones. And I'm on a quest now to find my first dual suspension bike that I ever had, which was a specialized FSR extreme. It was the lime green one with that dual crown Judy XL. I don't know if you remember that. It was like a 98, I think. Yep. I do. So I've, I've been searching and I just came across a Cortina downhill bike on eBay for like eight grand. But, um, Dude, it's unbelievable. There's there's a Palmer replica specialized FSR DH, which is sick, but they want like thirty nine hundred bucks. Like, dude, some of these vintage bikes are going for a lot of money, and 
I'm like kind of going down a wormhole because, you know, at the time I was in the mid nineties, you know, I was like 15, but you know, 14, 15 years old. And I'm like debating, like, do I want to start checking off like and collecting all these dream bikes that I wanted, you know, but like couldn't buy when I was a teenager. Right. You know, or the bikes you wish you wouldn't have sold. Yeah. Yeah. There's one. Yeah, there's many, but there's definitely one in particular right now because I'm in this wormhole, uh, which is the, it was, uh, world force, which was part of Azonic, If you remember, I remember Azonic, Yes. So Azonic and world force were kind of like, I don't know, a co-brand thing, but I had a world force BR one downhill bike. I don't even know how or where I got it, but it was a chromoly downhill bike that had the shock a coil shock underneath the down tube in front of the bottom bracket um, with a White Brothers UD150 inverted fork on it. And I mean, you know, like I was pushing this thing up Suicide, which is our local downhill trail, pretty famous trail, but I grew up not too far from it. So I was there all the time. That bike probably weighed 75% of, <laughs> of what my body weight was, you know, but I'm like pushing this thing up the hill every day I could, but uh, dude, I can't find anything on those bikes anywhere, which makes me think I wish I would have kept it because it's probably very rare these days. One bike that I really wish I would have kept that I didn't keep was I had, it wasn't the original, but I had, it would have been around a 96 mountain cycle San Andreas. Yes. When they were starting to get good. Yep. For that era, that is. Yeah. So if you, if you rode a mountain cycle, then you remember Earthquake Jake. Oh yeah. For sure. Jake Watson. Yep. 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 So he, I was friends with his younger stepbrother and his best friend was this kid named Dan, uh, Daniel. And the three of us rode together all the time. And so, you know, Jake was like the cool older stepbrother that like every once in a while we would go by his house and him and, uh, insane Wayne Crowsdale. Yeah. They would always be at, at like this apartment that Jake lived in, which was like at the base of suicide. Cause that's where like he rode all the time. And I remember we'd always like try to just stop by there and say hi. And I would just drool over all of his mountain cycles with the Zyzix forks on there. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever, you know? Yeah. And that Zyzix was super cool, but super not functional. Like as soon as it got wet, that thing would just like lock up. Yeah, I never, I never owned or rode one, but I just wanted one because they looked so cool. Oh, they well, they, I mean, it was the beginning of like oversized tubing and stuff for downhill yeah. stuff. I mean, you just yeah. you said a Judy DH earlier, and I mean that was, yeah, that would be that would not hardly pass that wouldn't pass as a cross country fork today. No, but you know what? Neither would the Zyzix. If you think about it, that thing was. As big and beefy yeah. as it was, it still went to a quick release axle, I think. Yeah. 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 Which it was is like, like a scale, minorly scaled down motor, motor fork with a quick release. Yeah. You're like, okay, tiny little axle and a big beefy fork. You're like, what's the point? <laughs> you're just going to snap axles. <laughs> yeah. But Shams Marsh threw some huge knickknacks on it. Uh, Shams is a man. Like I was, I, I did have, I, I did get a really loose connection in with at, around that time. I met a guy who was, he was a designer for engineer. He was a designer slash engineer for Core. If you remember Core with a K, totally. And 
he got me, that's who got me connected with mountain cycle. I met him when we were doing a Norba national in Michigan at Traverse city back in 96. And then I got introduced to Shams and John Cacaldi if you remember him from New Zealand, Dude, wow. you know, and so I was able to yeah. a couple of years in a row, I was able to go to deer Valley and I was able to pit with those guys, cool. which is super cool. I wasn't good. I just was fortunate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was just to meet those guys and, and do shuttle runs when the lift stopped at, at Deer Valley and that, you know, back when the Norba National was there in the mid nineties, mid to late nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Some crazy stuff. That was back yeah, when Palmer dude. was like on the come up and then, and then he had his big bus. Yeah. You know, and dude. then I think that would have been the year that Shams actually went from Mount, uh, he went mountain cycle to, Ellsworth. I remember it to Ellsworth and then to, and then to Schwinn. Yeah. And that was when Schwinn was co-partnered with Yeti, like they Yeti. Yeti and they had this, basically the same really good Yeti built bikes. Dude, that's another one that's like on my dream list. I'm trying to find that the Schwinn, I think they call it the straight eight. Yeah. There is the straight eight and the, and, uh, and then there was a, is it, there's also like a, I don't know if it was a four banger or something else that they use for like dual yes. slalom. Yes. There's, there's one, there's a, there's a rocket 88 and a four banger the homegrown remember that unified rear triangle there's one of those in really good condition on ebay right now for like 800 bucks and um it's like red with like the polished unified rear triangle and i'm just like ooh, but that's not on my list i gotta rein it in here <laughs> yeah the whole unified rear triangle thing was kind of one of those things that was it was like a glorified suspension seat post essentially dude that was it was terrible <laughs> the things the things they they, they built and produced well, let's get back yep. on lone wolf Yes. So you mentioned that you moved from SoCal to Bend and mm -hmm. we're here talking about trails and trail communities. Let's talk about your move to Bend and why you chose Bend at that time. Yeah. Um, well, being that I'm from Southern California, I'm spoiled and a total sissy when it comes to bad weather. Um, and Bellingham would have probably been at the top of my list However, I was like, there's no way I could deal with that much gloom and rain. You know, I, I like riding motorcycles as well. And I was like, dude, I won't be able to ride my Triumph or my Harley out on the road at all. It's just mud all the time. I couldn't do it. So I had a few places that I put on my list and I basically checked out bands that I really liked, uh, see if they would come through those towns and play. I looked at weather, winter, rain, and, you know, Proximity to Los Angeles and proximity to Whistler was kind of like a, another key one. If I could go back in time knowing what I know now, I don't know if I would change my decision just because, you know, the housing market has done some pretty crazy things here and I was able to get in at a decent time. But from a trail perspective, I kind of jokingly say that Bend is, is medium town. Like it's really good at being medium at everything. They're not great at anything and they're not, well, they're a terrible at a few things as the town has grown, mostly urban planning and street infrastructure, but, and e-bike access, they're freaking terrible at that. But I digress. Uh, the fact that there were so many trails to ride and it was still a one day drive back home to LA and a one day drive to Whistler. And, and there was an airport that's very convenient to fly in and out of because at the time you know and, and even still like i travel a lot for work to media camps or press events and all that so that that was kind of like some of the big factors for me one of my friends sean who lives here he works for schwalbe north america 
and he born and raised here. And so that was kind of how it put me on the radar. He was like, come visit me, stay with for a while. And he kind of showed me around and I was like, I think this could work, you know? And, uh, and it's worked. We've been here. I think I've been here like about eight years now. So, but yeah, the honeymoon phase is definitely worn off. And I think hopefully the trails will improve here. And I, and I, when I say improve, I mean, for aggressive minded riders who are looking for downhill or challenging terrain. I kind of jokingly say that like, you know, Coda is the central Oregon trail Alliance. They were kind of the, you know, and, and I don't want to just bad mouth them props for the many, many miles of trails that are here. Right. And, and that they do work on and fundraise and maintain. But I kind of jokingly say that uh, they were, they're a bunch of older XC guys. And I feel like their mentality for many years has been, why build a kick-ass trail that's one and a half miles long when we can make a mediocre trail that's five miles long? And they just want miles to pedal. And it, it seemingly from the outside, right, is like, if I can't ride it and it, if all of my old XC high post buddies can't ride it, we're not going to put the club's funds to build it, right? And then they host these meetings and they're like, oh, there's all this illegal pirate trail building going on. We really got to work on it. And, and um, you know, I'll kind of raise my hand. I'm like, are they building a lot of illegal beginner single track, like kind of flow cross country trails? No, there are pirate illegal downhill trails. And I'm like, well, do you think maybe that's because you guys are not building any? And because there's this huge underserved public, they're taking it upon themselves to do what you guys are not doing. You know, like if there was all this rogue flat XC trail getting built, then you'd probably would think, oh, we're not building enough beginner friendly trail. Right. But it's always advanced level downhill trails that are getting built illegally, which means you're not building enough of them. So let's figure that out. You know, so sorry, I went on a, a little bit of a tirade there. Hopefully I don't get more hate mails than we do from Coda already, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. Cause it was the same in my community. And I, I think, uh, I think that's not uncommon, right? Yeah. You know, and d depending on where it's at, you know, and I also think, or maybe, uh, maybe I'm looking the optimist in me thinks that modern mountain bike technology and the broadening of horizons of different users coming into those clubs now and younger users coming into those clubs yeah. are changing that narrative. I mean, not every and I still, there's, there's still people that I, that I've, I'm not going to, maybe I'll say make fun of. And I was a late adopter to this, but like dropper posts, <laughs> we, we, yeah. we saw it this there last spring. It won a, it won a world tour road race. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I mean, you might as well put them on gravel bikes. You they know are. what I mean? You yeah. know, like, actually just, speaking of a mutual friend, Shaggy. Yeah. He was telling me about his gravel bike on Saturday and it's got a 150 mil dropper on it. Of course he's six, six, so he can get away with a 150 mil dropper on a gravel bike. Yep. Yep. But yeah, I agree. You know, there's forever, you know, I think, and I think some of it has to do with, and not to, not to discredit the clubs, but I think some of it has to do with the fact that the people that were getting involved were middle-aged, maybe their families, you know, that the younger, I'd say the younger people were either too young and didn't want to get involved. Or they were at an age where they were, you know, they just had kids maybe, and they didn't have the time. So that left like your 30 to 40 plus demographic, which at that time, cross country was a huge demographic. 
And so that yeah. left a lot of, you know, a lot of cross country miles to be built. And now with enduro and trail bikes changing the narrative. Yeah. I, I, I do agree. I've had, I've had a handful of purpose built gravity trails built in my community for exactly the reason that you said, because it, because yeah. you need to, you need to, you need to provide that, that product, you know? Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And I know that the, there has been some fresh blood going into the club here and, and a guy that I know named Drew Barber has um, been responsible for building. There's a new trail called Lone Wolf, uh, no relation, but uh, it's a really fun and for the area, extremely progressive jump trail that, um, you know, is probably one of the most traveled and visited trails in Bend now. Right. And, and the hope is, is that as, you know, other CODA members maybe see like the features and what's going on there are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then they find out how many people are riding it and loving it. Maybe we can kind of keep pushing that momentum forward and, uh, and start getting more of those types of trails built. Cause we have the terrain. I mean, we have steep hills, we have rock gardens, we have stuff just, you know, sitting there waiting. We just need to build it like this instead of like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And modern trail building has helped that too, you know, and, and with, you know, I, I you know, with machines and whatnot, that definitely helps. Yeah. And getting in different trail builders. I mean, trail builders, I've said it, I don't know, almost every episode of this podcast, they're artists and you get different artists in there to do different things. It's an, it's a great thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's really cool to see different mentalities, different flavors, tastes. I mean, it's like a chef in the kitchen, right? I mean, then, you know, the ingredients are in front of you and, uh, you know, everybody who has a shovel or a tool is going to pick different ingredients to put that trail together. And, that's why I love building trail so much. Uh, I sadly, you know, don't have as much time uh, in the last two years to do that. And, you know, some of the trails that I worked on, unfortunately, got demolished by the Forest Service. But hopefully I can bring them back here in the near future. But, yeah, dude, I, I love just looking at that canvas and just seeing, you know, the hillsides and mountains and mounds kind of tell me where they want to flow, you know. Well, let's stick with the lone wolf and let's okay. stick with trails and trail communities. Yes. And one of the things that really like kind of the light bulb moment for me to reach out for to you, which was a bit before I actually did reach out to you was when you did your E mountain bike shootout in 2022 in Knoxville. And yes. the reason why that one sticks out to me, well, one is I have friends in Knoxville and Knoxville for me is a community that I've, I've done a series on for the podcast, but I also think it's a community that is just a really rad mountain bike community. But what, st what stuck out to me was that you came from the West coast to do, you know, so you went almost all the way across the country, three quarters of the way across the country to do an e-mountain bike shootout. Yes. <laughs> First, why Knoxville? A, but more importantly, when you're going to do something like an e-mountain bike shootout or uh, test products, like why do you choose other communities? Um, so Knoxville, I only recently found out that Knoxville was booming the year before when Jeff Lenoski and I did a road trip together. He, he was like, dude, I've been hearing about a bunch of great stuff in Knoxville. So we drove there on our trip and checked it out. And I was like, man, this is awesome. While I was there, I bumped into Shaggy 
And we got talking and he hooked me up with Matt Kellogg, who's I think president maybe of the... He's the executive director of AMBC. Executive director. Thank you. So he is very well connected. And when he and I started talking, um, I really saw the potential of that region for a shootout. And when he told me that the mayor is a mountain biker and that they're putting big infrastructure into attracting mountain bikers, I was like, let's do an intro with the sports commission and see if they would be down. And uh, sure enough, you know, a few emails and calls later, they were excited to have us come out, promote their area and showcase the work that they've been doing on building mountain bike and more importantly, e-bike friendly trails. So when we're looking for destinations, obviously we want, we want help and approval from that local town, city, county, whatever it might be. So, uh, you know, they were lucky or kind enough to help us with, you know, getting some lodging and kind of connecting us with a couple of restaurants and, and bike shops that they really liked. And, you know, that sort of stuff helps us lower the costs, as you could imagine, moving 16 bikes and nine guys from all over is not cheap to do, right? Not to mention we're all out of the office or our other jobs for 10 days. And then I got to pay editors and photographers and all that stuff. So it's it's always nice when you can get a place that helps you reduce your overall cost. We look for trails that are easily repeatable, easily accessible, and offer a great variety in terrain and skill, um, technique, whatever you want to call that, right? So Baker Creek, for example, you know, while it may not be like my go-to destination if I lived in Knoxville, I could go there very quickly from where we stayed. We could leave, you know, a bunch of bikes kind of at the headquarters right there and go do a jump trail, go do a flow trail. We could go get some pedaling on some switchbacks. We could go onto the backside and find some roots and some chunk. and we can do that all very quickly. And it was a lot of fun, right? Like it's super fun. We could leave, go to get some food really quickly, come back and keep riding bikes. And then we, we reserved the days for going to wind rock for like, okay, we've got, we got how these bikes jump. We got how they pedal. We've got like their trail, you know, votes figured out. Now let's go see how they handle the chunk and the downhill trails. And that was why we went to wind rock. And having Windrock so close was kind of like just another bonus of like, yeah, this is the place to do it because we can go get super gnarly downhill. We can get trail. We can get jumps. Like everything is there in Knoxville and it's all e-bike friendly and they're a mountain bike town and it's really, really cool. Yeah. Knoxville definitely has, it's, I got turned on. I don't remember exactly how I got turned on to Knoxville initially. I think it was because I had aunt, a great aunt that lived just outside of Knoxville and I've driven through there a bunch and I'm like, this has to be a great mountain bike community. And then I, I did do an interview with Jeff Lenowski, mm-hmm. probably not too long after it was, it was in January. Well, I think it was January after you and him did that trip together. Oh, okay. And so there's then Knoxville. Oh, it was and Bryce Sherbach. That's right. Bryce Sherbach did eastbound and down and covered Knoxville. Okay. And that was another bit of content that put Knoxville on my, on my radar, you know? And so it's, it's a community that, I mean, everybody says Bentonville and I'm not going to, Bentonville is a great community, but I'm going to say Knoxville is like, 
different in the sense that they're doing it a lot, like really organically. Mm-hmm. And it is a trail club. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, Matthew is really resourceful to get done whatever it needs to get done to, to piece all these different tracks of land together and to get all this interconnectivity, you Absolutely, know, especially yeah. in South Knoxville. And while I was there, I did go to Windrock too. And holy cow, that was a different experience, but it was also raining. And so that made it pretty spicy. That will definitely make it spicy. Yeah. I was able to, I was able to spend a whole a day with Sean leader and that was, that was an incredible day. Yeah, I do, have, sure. I do have Windrock as a topic that I'm going to bring up later in a new thing that we're going to call let's play a game. Okay. But I think, uh, I, I think you'll enjoy that, but we'll, we'll stick with what you have going on with Lone Wolf again. And that is bike park reviews. Yes. You know, so that's a, ta- that's a, that's a, I'm going to say kind of a, a feature or, or an area that you want to do for a couple seasons and obviously COVID hit and some other stuff. And I don't, I don't know exactly, you know, what, what went on as far as like, if you're going to continue that again, I would sure, sure hope you would. But I think that's something that you, you know, you, it's kind of living the dream where you could travel and then review these bike parks. And you did season one, which was kind of the mountain West slash West coast. And then season two, which was the East coast. And you covered a good, a good cross section of some pretty popular bike parks. What was Thank some stuff you, you, you pulled out of that both season one and season two? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny that you said that you're living the dream because uh, I'm pretty sure every bike park that we went to, we would run into people in the chairlift line that were like, yo, Lone Wolf, you guys are living the dream bike park tour. Can we, can we come ride with you? And without fail, I would say, sure, you're going to get bored and you'll see what living the dream really looks like, but let's go. You know, and we'd get off the chairlift and they're like, all right, what are we going to do? And I'd say, we're going to go over to the green trail right now. And they're like, why? That's a beginner trail. I'm like, yeah, but we have to showcase what this beginner trail looks like so that for beginner people or folks who want to travel here with their family, who maybe have kids or a significant other that doesn't ride, get to see what they can expect while they're riding here. All right, cool. Let's, we'll go do a warm up with you. And we would make it like three turns and then, we would make it another three turns and get out the cameras and another three turns and get out the cameras. And then very quickly they were like, all right, well, we'll catch you on the next run. And I'll be like, okay, sounds good. And then I think they got a picture of like, Oh, living the dream. Actually I'm laughing because yes, we're still riding bike parks, but there's a lot more that goes into it that then people I think realize when they just see like the final video and it's like, Oh man, those guys just travel and go ride bike parks. I'm like, yeah, we do. But there's a lot of other stuff that, uh, you know, if you're there with us, uh, you'll hear us bickering and giving each other shit and quarreling like old married couples. And uh, yeah, <laughs> that being said, we are hoping to do more because I love it. You know, downhill is is my passion. I mean, that's what I started racing and that's what I grew up doing you know, bike parks and downhill bikes specifically are my number one. Right now, this year, just because of uh, one downhill bike availability, and then yes, COVID shutting down a lot of parks, we kind of uh, like shifted focus. And this year did an e-bike destinations tour. So you will see the first episode of that coming out very shortly, uh, which coincidentally is going to be Knoxville. 
the second destination is going to be Oak Ridge, Oregon, which is another really popular trail community and hub. And so we're going to have a couple of seasons this year, or sorry, a couple of episodes this year. And the goal is to, you know, hopefully reach a broader audience uh, and then prevent people from mistakenly traveling to an area that's not welcoming or friendly to e-bikes, for example, Bend, uh, Sedona, to name a couple that, you know, everyone thinks like, oh man, I'm going to go travel here and ride. And then they get there to find out like, oh, I can't actually ride my bike here legally, you know? So that being said, we currently have a survey on the website right now, kind of like an end of year survey where we help better our content and what we do and answering or hearing what the people have to say about us. And one of the questions is, what do you want to see more of from the Lone Wolf? And I think the number one answered question to that was bike park review tour. So I think that means we're going to try to pitch some companies to see if anyone wants to support us on another season of the bike park review tour. And uh, hopefully we can get some more. I really want to go to Angel Fire, hit a couple more spots in Colorado. There's definitely some more back east. So there, there's a lot more bike parks we want to get to. Yeah. And there's even some popping up in the Midwest. There are. There are. Yep. So Howler, that's another one I want to go check out that just opened up down south. Yep. A couple friends of mine are builders at Howler. Okay. Yeah. Down, cool. in, down in Missouri. Yep. Yep. So, so yeah. All I can say is for people who want to see more of those, go watch all those videos and leave comments on those videos that say, we want to see more bike park reviews. (laughs) (laughs) That way, when I email all these companies that I am going to try to pitch to help support the trip and the travel budget, they can see that there's people out there that value the content and want to see more of it. So, Yeah. With that, what is something that you took out of, say, a bike park? that wasn't done in other bike parks, something that a bike park did really well that wasn't done in other bike parks that you think really served the user, the user or the audience for those bike parks that should maybe be done in other bike parks. That's a tough one. Um, because I think, I think many of the bike parks had their own unique flavor and did things differently and, you know, or better or worse, I guess, whatever you want to call it. So Silver Mountain Bike Park in Idaho, from a rider's perspective, there's some very badass trails, challenging, like not a super beginner-friendly mountain, but badass trails. What they did really well is that across the parking lot is an indoor water park that is super family-friendly. They got a lazy river and slides and all that stuff. So that's really cool because if the rest of your family is too young, not interested, whatever, you can go on a trip and you can be riding and they can be in the water park. Killington, my, and most, I think everyone on our team's new favorite bike park is kind of a ghost town in the summer. And and I mean, granted it was COVID. So I think the village probably has a little bit more stuff going on there, but they're just, I don't know. It, it, it seemed quiet there and again maybe i'm basing it off of covid because they did have some cool features but so yeah maybe i should take that back killington though i will just say my favorite bike park i absolutely loved it i'm trying to think what else stands out idaho was very cool with um i think it was schweitzer had some family friendly stuff right there in the village but again not a ton and it was kind of remote and in a small town so it's 
Yeah, like I think the family friendly nature of things, Sky Park, Santa's Village, that place is totally unique because you're literally in like the North Pole, right? And so little kids get to do stuff and have a fun day. So I guess the big takeaway for me is having places that, uh, and maybe that's because I'm going to be 40 this year and now I have, you know, a one and a half year old baby and I'm not my 30 year old self looking to just go out at night after I ride all day and get into trouble. But the family friendly aspect and the, the, different um, offerings that places have, whether it's a zip line course through the trees or an alpine slide or, you know, water park. I think those are kind of big features that a lot of people are looking for. And that's why we covered it. You know what I mean? Like not everyone's looking to go out with their bros and just ride all day and get hammered at night, you know, at a dive bar. And I feel like we try to offer that bit of information to people because you know, there's a lot of people that want to do that. And we spent a lot of years doing, uh, you know, that stuff too. But yeah, I think the well-rounded resorts have a lot more to offer people. So I'm going to ask you this mammoth mountain. One of the things I picked up on your review of mammoth was that lower zone. Yes. That to me, like that really stuck out about that place, which, which stays right in line with your family friendly part. Mammoth did a really good job, especially when you consider the challenge that they have from a terrain aspect. They're, they're, I don't even want to call it soil, but the, the ground <laughs> that they have to work with is challenging, um, to put it lightly. And yes, they did a really great job at making stuff that kids can ride, beginners can ride. It's a short lift ride. It's very low grade. So that is an awesome place for newer riders to go get their feet wet. Sadly, I think I heard that they raised their prices quite a bit this year. We have, we have that everywhere. Unfortunately, that's true. true. (laughs) And kind of sticking with like maybe the future is one of the things that, and this also sticks with something you're doing with specifically with the lone wolf, which is e-bikes is you now see destinations popping up that are e-bike specific. And in locations that wouldn't, that are not already how they don't have a resort there already. And I'm going to provide two examples. One is, is all e-bike only or not all e-bike, but all pedal up, no shuttles, which is ride Canuga, which is Nico Mullally's bike park. It's a great place. But another one that got on my radar and I was able to visit in late May, which does have a shuttle or you could pedal up is a place called Jared's Place in North Georgia, like 45 minutes south of Chattanooga. I heard of that. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people talking about it down in that region. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess in the UK or Europe, they call those trail centers, I guess. But I think, especially with the massive increase in e-bikes, that those types of centers are going to absolutely... I don't want to say dominate, but there is going to be a massive business opportunity for people in that space. Um, I'm super excited about it. Uh, Maybe that's because I'm a big e-bike fan, but I think that your, your barrier of entry, if you want to call it that, is a lot lower, right? You don't have to have millions of dollars to have a chairlift installed or to operate a mountain with a chairlift. You can literally own, you know, 
a hundred acres that has as little as 300 feet of elevation, right? I mean, because you see what Baker Creek does in Knoxville with 300 feet, it's amazing. And it's, I mean, quite honestly, dude, it has me looking at property and I'm like, do we build a lone wolf bike park? You know, Seth at Burma Park did it and that place is packed. People travel from all over and uh, Canuga is high on my list. You know, like I've talked to Nico about it a few times because like I said, I'm, my wheels are spinning on, on doing something like that. And, uh, so I've just been picking his brain and that's a place that like, we very well might have an e-bike shootout in the future if Nico's cool with it. And, you know, we, we have a few more conversations about it, but yeah, man, I think to me, it's really exciting. And I think it's going to open up a lot more trail hubs, you know, municipal bike parks, whatever you want to call them, but I'm super excited. And I hope that they take off because the places that they are doing them, they're succeeding very well. Yeah. And I think they're, they're definitely exceeding what they thought they would do for, for business for sure. Yes. You know, and then, and then you have a whole new dynamic, which is fun climbing trails. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. And so you get, you get the full, you get, you get, you have fun going up and you have fun going down. Yep. And like you said, you don't need the infrastructure and that's, and that's exactly where I was going with that, with that question or statement, you know, like you're going to, you're going to see things pop up in areas that you would never have thought of it before. Totally. Like, like Ironton, Missouri. Yeah. Like Ironton, Missouri. Exactly. <laughs> it's funny. Like a, a couple of years ago, a friend of mine, um, owns a, he's a, he's a truck dealer here in Wisconsin. Strange, huh? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, early on, and I, I'll, I'll be the first to say it when I saw e-bikes come out initially, I was, I was skeptical and I'm like, great. That's one more thing that we're going to have to try to explain to other people that access with these things really isn't bad, but it's still going to be something we have to defend. Right. And I was having a conversation with him about it and we weren't, and it wasn't a negative conversation, but he's like, you know, the people that like say e-bikes are dumb. He's like, a lot of those same people are taking chairlifts to the top. He's like, what's the yeah. difference? Or, or putting their bikes in the bed of a pickup truck. Yeah. You know, and he's like, he's like, what's the difference? And I was like, yeah, you, you know, you're not wrong. That's a very good point. Yeah. I remember one time, uh, you know, I was back, back home in Thousand Oaks, uh, visiting family and I, you know, my parents lived pedaling distance, eh, under a mile from a trailhead that got me into the Santa Monica mountains. Right. So there was just a lot of single track going either way along the ridge. And I remember pedaling, you know, up out of this, the city street into a dirt parking lot. And I saw like four guys unloading bikes out of their vehicles and they saw me kind of pedaling up and they're like, cool cheater bike. And I like, normally I just kind of like laugh or wave or whatever. But for some reason that day, probably cause I had to dismount to get over this little gate. I like stopped and I kind of just sat for a second and I was like, you guys just drove here. I was like, do you see my vehicle? Like I just pedaled to the trail. So did you guys cheat on how you got to the trail today or, or does that not count? You know, <laughs> it's like, I'm going to go do a big 30 mile ride and get like a seven mile commute back from where I end all on the road and not have driven my vehicle, but, but I'm the cheater. And I'm probably gonna have a lot more fun because I'm going to get like four times as many downhills in, but it's just, it's an interesting mindset, you know, of like, 
guys will shuttle up and down a hill in a bed of a truck and that's not cheating or earning your turns, but you know, you, you put a motor on a bike and it is. It's definitely good. And I'm glad that I'm really glad that e-bikes have become what they've become. Yeah. And well, let's stay on that topic. And this just, I didn't have this written down. We're going to geek out now. Okay. We're going down okay. the wormhole of, of a new e-bike that just came out and it's the, it's the Trek Fuel EXE. You, you guys reviewed that. Talk about how that bike is different than other e-bikes and kind of where the technology is going with that one specifically. And I think Pivot did a similar new model as well using that same technology, right? Um, they, so we, we call it e-bike light. Other people are calling it. Yeah. Well, we're, call, we're, we're calling it e-bike light because yeah, they're not full powered e-bikes. And so they've got a smaller battery. They've got a less powerful motor. And the, you know, it's a conversation I've had with a lot of people in the bike industry who have asked our opinion about it. And I don't know where the, the SL or e-bike light market will be. The Trek EXE that we have, which is similar to, yes, the Pivot SL, um, the Orbea Rise, the Specialized Levo SL, they are lighter, they're more nimble, they're more playful. They ride more like a mountain bike, right? Because they are 10 pounds lighter. The downside is they don't have the battery range. The, pow- the, the, the lack in power is what it is. You can still get up a hill, right? Because you can get up a hill without a motor at all. But the lack in battery range to me is a hard part. And, and I'm speaking as a full-on, full-power adopter, right? Like I have embraced e-bikes at this point in my life. You know, five years ago, I was an- very anti-e-bike. And they kind of sucked back then too. But now I'm viewing it as I want to cover as many miles as possible as fast as I can. And I want to get as many downhill laps in as fast as I can. And for me, I'm not sure why I want to go backwards now that I've gone and embraced the future, you know, because if I would go out to our local spot, I would maybe get one and a half laps in like one full downhill and then like a shorter downhill on a pedal bike. If I go out on an SL and I ride that bike the way I want to ride an e-bike, I might get two and a half laps in. Whereas if I go out on like a full power e-bike, I'm going to get five or six downhills in. and. So I'm just not sure why I would want to give up those three extra downhill laps for a lighter bike if I'm having damn near as much fun. You know what I mean? But I do think the SLs will be a good second e-bike for the people who have the means and want to have that more mountain bike experience. And I also think that people who maybe have been resistant to e-bikes or maybe rode one five years ago when they sucked and were like, too heavy, too clunky, too artificial, but I can get on board with this. Um, I think those people might be tiptoeing into the e-bike market on an SL. I I would love to be able to get some inside data on how quick people keep those bikes. You know, like people who like will buy something and very quickly be like, I outgrew this or it's not what I wanted or I'm going to a full power. I would love to be able to find that data out, but I think the SL market is going to probably do pretty well. Yeah. And I'm wondering if, you know, cause you'd mentioned what e-bikes were five years ago, if the full power e-bike 
gets to where the SL is today. That's what I'm very excited about. Yes. What when when full power e-bikes are weighing 45 pounds and you know under, which I don't think is too far off. Cause I mean, not long ago they were 55 pounds and now they're at 50, you know, and it's only been a few years. So I think a couple more years and we're gonna start getting bikes that are into that 45 to 47 range, which, you know circling way back to my world force vr1 downhill bike that bike weighed 51 pounds and i pushed that thing up the hill when i weighed like 92 pounds or some shit you know what i mean so the way i look at it is it's not really the bike that's the weight it's it's the technology of the batteries and the technology of the motors that are really going to yes. be the factors in getting that weight down yes yeah 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 and when like that tq motor that trek is using on that fuel exc as quiet and smooth and compact as that thing is, dude, it's, it is very, very impressive. Like that is one badass bike. Yeah. I just wish the battery lasted longer. <laughs> so it, need, it needs to be a little bit heavier because it needs to house just a little bigger battery. A little bit, a little yeah. bit. Well, I want to go into an area and I've never tried this before. So maybe this will work and maybe it won't. Okay. I'm going to say, let's play a game. I'm going to say a phrase or a product or name a product or brand or location. And I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. And it oh, could be boy. controversial. It might not be. We'll start okay. out with a phrase. An underappreciated or underrated component that you've reviewed. Oh, gosh, that's really tough. Um, I guess I would say TRP brakes, although I have a hard time because I feel like in the last few months, they are getting the appreciation they deserve. But you know what? I take it back. SR Suntour suspension. Really? SR Suntour. They, their, their high-end suspension products don't get enough credit or ridership. That shit, it works, dude. Uh, I'm impressed. And that's, that's a surprise. That's, that's why we're playing this game. <laughs> okay. U-Sweep Hacks. U-Sweep Hacks. Um... I'm a U-Sweet Pack user. I have a couple of them and I think they're incredible and everybody's so hooked on Camelback that they just don't give them a try. Weird looking, but incredibly comfortable and stable. Yes. Like, damn, they just stay put. Windrock Bike Park. Ooh, first thing that comes to mind, chunky, uh, wheel breaking and fun. Yeah, let's go deeper on that. I, uh, I was invited out to to speak at the NSAA Downhill Bike Park Summit back in June. Yep. To lead off my presentation, kind of my icebreaker was things that shouldn't work, but do. <laughs> and it was Windrock Bike Park because by all accounts, it, it takes the whole bike park model and like flips it upside down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They do. It's gnarly there. I love it. And it's scary, but it's rad. <laughs> and that's what I mean. Like they, they, they put you, you know, they're, they're unapologetically downhill specific or really, really, really hard enduro specific, mm -hmm. you know, and yep. it's, and it's awesome. And I was asking Sean, you know, why he's done some of the things he's done or why other people, you know, cause he took that over from other people who've done things as well. But he's, he's like, you know, there's, we have racers here in the U S that, you know, kind of were getting doors blown off them and, and, different places in Europe and they needed a steep, rocky place to train. Yep. They got it. 
And there's a market there and and they're proving that there's a market there for downhill. I'm, I'm so stoked that place is there. So this is kind of the end of the game. It's more of a phrase, but I want to get your take on the modern mountain bike progression over the past, I'm going to say three years specifically, because I think, I think we might be coming to a plateau, but we've seen some really huge leaps and bounds with geometry and suspension and just things that just make riding a bike and riding a trail way better. Yeah. I guess my word that jumps out at me is polarizing. Really? Yes. Expand on that. Um, I feel like, uh, <laughs> you know, it was just yesterday I was having a conversation. Um, there was a guy from Pivot Cycles who came up here to to our office to meet and chat about some some projects and new stuff coming and and we jokingly talked about how I'd been getting asked like to start a podcast and um you know one of the episodes that a lot of engineers had told me about they would be totally down to get into is how message boards ruined bike geometry <laughs> and um and I laughed because I you know, if you've watched many of our review videos, you'll probably hear me say like a broken record, this bike's really sweet. It's a little bit long for my taste because I would like a 475 to 480 reach at 511. It's crazy to me that at 511, after, you know, decades of riding a size large bike, I'm now looking at size mediums. You know, one of our guys is six foot two and he just got a new bike and he's like, I picked a size medium. At six foot two. That's crazy to me. Like, so to me, I think bikes, bike geo, the pendulum of people listening to the pink bike, you know, message forum guys who haven't bought a bike price since 2013, but still say 20, 2013 called them want their geometry back, has made bikes too long, too low, too slack. And I think that's very cool for some people. But I am also very happy when there are brands that resist that trend, you know, like, for example, Jameis, probably not a bike that I would personally buy, but I love the fact that they're like, we're an East Coast brand. We ride East Coast tech, rock, chunk, whatever, and a crazy low bottom bracket height and a 63 degree head to angle doesn't work for us in our terrain. So we're not going to build a bike for that. You know, like we don't want a 495 millimeter reach on a size large because a 470 is way more nimble and better for our riding. So, yeah, I think um, I think it's gotten polarizing. And and while some companies have made bikes that absolutely destroy and Squamish and Bellingham, they now suck in other terrain. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And or it's making people have to size down to a bike that they wouldn't normally want to ride uh, just to combat this crazy reach and super slack low geo. Or they're having to run like tiny little baby crank arms because the bottom bracket's so low. So I don't know. Yeah, that's I didn't think you'd go. I, I didn't think that would be the direction you go, but I'm glad you went that direction. Right now, the two bikes that I own that I ride the two mountain bikes that I own. I own a lot of bikes, but the two mountain bikes that I own and ride regularly is a track top fuel, not yeah. the most current generation, but the it's a 2021. So almost the most yeah. current generation, more yeah. current than what the top fuel used to be when it was a 69 degree head angle. 
Yeah. And a Trek Slash. And when I went to order my Trek Slash in early spring of 2021 in hopes that I'd have it by 2022, which I did get it yep. by then. Good. Yeah, I was looking at the numbers and I'm like, man, like I have a medium, I'm 5'8, I have a medium large top fuel, but I'm looking at the medium large slash and I'm like, I don't think that, I think I need to be on a medium because I'm on, from a, the human size perspective, I'm on the short end of what, of a person that should be on a medium large. And I appreciate that companies like Track are big enough to be able to produce those in between sizes. So I ordered the medium and I got the medium and I'm really glad I got the medium. Yeah. You know, so that was a case of sizing down. Yeah. But like, for example, they don't offer a medium large in the rail, which is probably one of their top selling bikes. So the, a size large rail, I'm pretty sure it's got like a 495 reach and a medium is like a 465. Yeah. So that's like a massive spread. Like 465 is too small for me and 495, like I don't really want to bike that long because I like tight techie trails. So it pretty much took if you watched our e-bike shootout, the Trek rail from being like the bike that we all absolutely loved for like the last two years in a row to being like, unless you fit in the sizing parameter, right? Like if you're like six, one or up a large will work. And if you're like five, eight and below a medium will probably work. But if you're in that five, nine to five, 11 zone, like, which I think most people are, you're kind of stuck in this no man's land of like getting a bike that's too cramped or way too long to where it's not going to be nimble and fun to play. Speaking of your e-bike shootout, a brand that really caught my attention and not because of their e-bike, but I did watch this e-bike video because I, the d- suspension design is the same on their e-bike and non-e-bike or acoustical bike or whatever, whatever you call it today Yeah, is score. Yeah. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Like that thing, I mean, cause living where I live in the upper Midwest, everything is, yeah. I mean, we don't have, we have 550 feet of vert where I live, but it's more of what you're describing in terms of like tighter technical riding, which is why I sized down on the slash. Yep. But what were, you, what were your thoughts on that score? And I, I watched the video and I think everybody should watch the video, but the score is a brand that seems like they didn't quite go that far. Like some brands did and kind of kept it more playful. Totally. It, it is playful. Um, it is it is a stiffer, like I would say, like VPP type stiffness off the top, which makes it very fast and pedaling efficient, and it pumps and keeps momentum. So yeah, I think, and it is a, a short, very playful, poppy, sprightly bike. Um, you know, and that was kind of like what we said is if you're regularly plowing over, like your whole ride is full of like square edge bumps, it'll tire you out. But if you've just got like short, compact sections, like 100 feet there, 100 feet there of rock or root, and you can deal with that little bit of harshness, the speed everywhere else and the playfulness will make that bike well worth the, you know, that little downside that you have. But that bike impressed us all. And I I think it won the most playful, um, you know, bike in the category for a good reason. Yeah, for sure. Well, before we wrap this thing up, the hypothetical closing question question is, you have to move out of Bend. You can't go back. Yeah. Okay. All expenses are covered. Where would you move and why? So like you just like literally like, it's like literally you time warp from, or not even time warp, but you like take, I don't know, something from Star Trek and move okay. all your stuff, uproot it from Bend and you land it wherever else. Are we talking internationally or just in the US? 
You can go, yeah, fully international because one of the one of my more favorite recent podcasts was Tasmania, and that's a place that I'm seriously looking at. Oh, interesting, interesting. Um, man, I think Finale Ligure in Italy might be high on my list. I'd probably want to spend a little more time there before I absolutely committed to that. But a place in North America that I would feel pretty confident saying, and if you guys are listening and you would love to offer us some sort of an invitation, Knoxville, Tennessee, we're, in, we're interested. <laughs> yeah, Knoxville's awesome. That's why I'm yeah. so happy Shaggy's up in my neck of the woods building right now because he's, he's a really good builder and they have a lot of different flavors down there. Speaking of that, V Hollow, what'd you think of that place? I know you did a video on that too, so that's why I'm asking yeah. the question. And it's, I got, a, cool. I got a preview ride with Shaggy and before it opened and then wrote, came back in the spring and wrote it when it was open, open. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately, there was a lot of leaves down when we oh, went yeah. there, but very cool spot. It was the I same with me. Yeah. Like, I wrote yeah. it in mid-October of last year and it was like serious leaf dump. Yeah. No, man, I liked it. It was very cool. And I think it's going to do wonders for that town. It's going to bring a lot of people over there. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Before we officially wrap this thing up, is there anything you want to impart in, in terms of wisdom on the audience, listeners, trail builders of the world? Um, just, you know, some stuff you want to leave lone wolf style. Gosh, I don't know that I'm in a position to bestow or leave anybody with anything <laughs> other than, you know, just have fun, be a good person, uh, enjoy trails, nature, each other, and the gift of riding bikes, you know, I mean, it's ultimately we are, uh, you know, blessed and lucky that we have able bodies and the ability to recreate and, you know, choose to go out into the wilderness, woods, desert, whatever it might be and, and ride bicycles for fun. So I know it's, it's our livelihood as well as many other people and how we make a living. And that's, that's awesome, but it's also pretty lucky. And I think you know, life's short and we shouldn't be dicks to people about what type of bike they want to ride or the type of trail they want to build. You know, we, we can jokingly talk shit, I guess, but I don't know, man, life's short. We should just have fun and enjoy it. Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. That's, that's a good way to close this one out. Yeah, man. Well, Drew, we're going to hit stop in this recording. Thank you. I appreciate it. Before we hit stop though, Everyone go check out www.thelonewolf. That's thelonewolf.com. Yes. That's yeah. where Drew puts all the stuff. And I'm telling you, man, there is so much content out there that if you haven't been there, you need to go there. If you're looking Thanks. for a, a rack, if you're looking for a, trailer, a, a tailgate pad, a pack, tires, whatever, helmets. We got, we got it all. And one thing we do really try to do is a lot of giveaways and a lot of discount codes to our viewers just as a thank you for the support so yeah join the youtube channel head to the website uh we've got a web store with some merch uh made in the usa jerseys t-shirts socks uh so we would be super stoked all that stuff helps us uh keep the lights on and keep moving so thank you for the opportunity to to get on your show today yeah well thank you drew thank you for listening links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes if you like what you have heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. 
please don't forget to leave a rating and review as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect podcast. I'd also like to thank all of the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. With that, the value for value concept is something that has caught my attention. If you find value in the Trail Effect podcast, you now have a way to provide value for that value via Patreon for Trail Effect. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature in Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.